Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. The premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was, at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC. It's just amazing. Wes Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome in to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell along with you. Chris Clark will be back with us tomorrow. He, of course, was out in Dallas for the women's Final Four over the weekend, and that's been the conversation all morning long. Uh, Wes, unfortunately, the Gamecock women coming up short on Friday night, 73-77 to to the Iowa Hawkeyes in a game that it certainly lived up to the building, and it was a four-quarter rock fight all the way down to the end, but unfortunately, the undefeated season in quest for a second straight national championship for the Gamecocks came to an end. Yeah, I actually thought just from a basketball perspective, it was a great game, lived up to the billing and and then some. Um, You know, I I really honestly thought, even as the game went on, you know, it it was kind of back and forth. Obviously, Iowa kind of um, punched first, took the lead in the first quarter. South Carolina fought back. I thought it was a very even second half, and... um, you know, you just look at how it played out at the end. Caitlin Clark was fantastic throughout the game. You know, Zaya and uh, Cardosa were fantastic for South Carolina. Um, you hate it that you had the foul trouble with Aaliyah Boston early on. Would have liked to have seen maybe how it played out with her on the floor. But, you know, I think South Carolina probably felt like, even as the game went on, you know, they've, they've been down in games at times this year and they've just stayed the course and kind of done what they do and I I think they probably felt 
even as they were trailing for most of the game, that ultimately they were going to be able to wear Iowa down and, and maybe put them away and, and make a run in the fourth quarter. And then it just, um, you know, just this time it did not happen, obviously. Yeah, and I wasn't surprised at all that Iowa was leading the game at halftime 38-37. I thought they were going to come out fast, kind of what like what Maryland did in the Elite Eight game and jump on South Carolina pretty quickly. But as you mentioned, South Carolina is just such a good second-half team with the depth they have and the physicality that they play with that it wears down on their opponents. And there comes that point in the second half where South Carolina takes the lead and ends up running away by you know 15 or 20 points or whatever. Now, I didn't think they were going to win the game by that much, but I was waiting for that moment, and it just never came. And, and you know, Colin and I were talking about this earlier Iowa does not play good defense, and they were not shy about the fact that they did not play good defense. Their game plan going into Friday night was, we're good at offense, we're going to make you be good at offense if you want to beat us, and unfortunately, South Carolina came up just a little bit short. Well, and I I think they, to give Iowa credit, I mean, they had a a good defensive game plan. They may not be great defensively in terms of locking you down and playing, you know, man-to-man coverage and stuff like that, but... You know, I I thought to sort of pack, I mean, they obviously, it's a meme now. Everybody saw it. They packed the paint tighter and with more people than really maybe any team I've ever seen. I know that was kind of the approach for a lot of opponents against South Carolina was to force them to make open shots from the outside. Well, Iowa, I felt like they took that to the extreme and really packed the paint it forced, um, once South Carolina had foul trouble, it forced them away from being able to go to sort of their Cardosa and Boston package. We did see that later in the game, obviously. But, um, you know, give Iowa credit. They, I think they had a good plan. It worked out. Raven Johnson being able to hit some outside shots, you know, I, I thought helped Carolina stay in the game and come back. You would have hoped from a Carolina perspective, maybe that would have kind of forced them out to her a little bit more but that never really completely happened and um you know I I thought obviously early on Zaya Cook kept South Carolina in the game she was fantastic again Cardosa was fantastic I I think it sets up for Cardosa to be this team's superstar next year um you know and I, I think the whole the clip that kind of has been everywhere now where they were given Raven Johnson like literally what ten feet or more of space, right? Um, you know, I I think it kind of it paints her in a light like she can't score. Well, this was a national player of the year. Like she was playing within the offense of what South Carolina does, and then you could see South Carolina kind of adjust and say, "Look, we're going to take we're going to take some of those shots." And you know, Johnson hit several three pointers. I think. She will use this as motivation going into the offseason. She's going to be a star for South Carolina, even if the outside shot is not necessarily her game right now. Right. Um, Me personally, and I'm not a basketball expert by any means, so I'm not going to go on the radio and pretend to be one. I would have liked to have maybe seen South Carolina just fire more of them up there because Mm -hmm. knowing you have such an advantage um, as far as getting rebounds and just saying, look, we're going to shoot them. And then we're going to rebound them, you know, if we miss them. But, uh, you know, they tried to adjust. They even got, <laughs> excuse me, Liv Thompson in there a little bit to try and expand out their defense. But um, ultimately, to me, you, had, you missed some easy shots. You had um, a late turnover or two 
that ended up being crucial. Mm-hmm. And um, just couldn't slow down Iowa. I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised at Iowa's ability on some of their like backdoor cuts to get to get open. And uh, but th- but that was it. And I, I think this this was a case where of any other team in the country, Iowa probably was the worst matchup for South Carolina. I found myself thinking, you know, I, I think even though LSU deserves to be the national they earned it they went through the tournament that's how it works sure you're the champion i felt like carolina would have beaten lsu much like they did during the regular season yeah and would be the champion but getting by iowa in that tough matchup obviously uh was not in the cards so how is this season going to be remembered years from now obviously you were undefeated 36 and 0 you would been undefeated for over a calendar year going back to the SEC championship game against uh, Kentucky last year. You end up coming up short in the Final Four against, again, the best player in the entire country um, on, a game, on a night where they were on their game 100%. Uh, but this was a team that was expected to win another national championship and close out this freshie class with back-to-back titles. Um, what's the legacy of the 2022-2023 season going forward? It's complicated, man. It's hard. It's hard to say a team makes a Final Four and loses one game, and and you call it a disappointment like that. That to me is uh, you know in a vacuum is very difficult to say. At the same time, context is obviously important, and the context around this team and program is that you have been so good that that's the expectation you built you know that to have a successful season not that you had to go undefeated but right you had to win it again and so i don't know man it, I, I think sometimes it takes years for you to really know how a year is going to be remembered I, I think if you look at this this program, obviously, three straight Final Fours. It's really hard still for me to call a trip to the Final Four a disappointment. But I, I think if you asked, I mean, obviously, I think every girl in that locker room expected this season to end with a national championship. Sure. From a broader perspective, though, it just is an, another reminder. You get these all the time in sports. There's no such thing as team of destiny there's no such thing as just all that team is supposed to win there's no such thing as a guarantee and there's no such thing as all right we're gonna go win this thing just because we're supposed to yeah ultimately for for every single other day this season south carolina was the best team in the country but you play it as a tournament and they played iowa on a great day for iowa an off day for Carolina, and the results are what they are is, is how I look at it. So it, it'll go down as kind of one of those things where you say, man, that team obviously could have gone back-to-back. Um, and, and just another reminder of how hard it is to go undefeated for an entire season. How many times do we see this in sports, though? A undefeated regular season, chasing perfection, and then come postseason time, you get knocked off by a team that's a bad matchup, that has a great day, 
and you know you're getting your opponent's A1 shot every single time. Absolutely, and saying this season is a disappointment is very much a compliment to the program what Don Staley has built, where you are expected to be in the national championship and winning national championships. And yeah, you're going to lose this freshie class, which is going to go down as arguably the greatest class this school's ever seen, 129 wins and just nine losses with the national championship last year. But you certainly got tons of pieces coming back next year. You're going to have another great recruiting class. You mentioned Raven Johnson, Camilla Cardoso, among others, that this their success is going to continue for years and years to come. They're going to be one of the favorites for the national championship next year. I expect them to be right back in the mix when we get to the Elite Eight and Final Four again in, uh, in 2024. And, you know, the dynasty's not over by any means. It's a tough way for this season to end, obviously, but there's still plenty of bright days ahead. Yeah, and I think it'll be much a much different storyline around the team next year. They'll get to fall back a little bit into an underdog type role, even though they're going to be, you know, preseason top 10, top five. I think I saw way too early top 25. I think maybe had them seven, which mm. um, just speaks to the the outside. The outside word, word is going to be, hey, you lose, you know, that entire class. Um, and, you know, we'll see if all those girls declare or not, obviously. There are some opportunities there with the COVID year if they want to come back. But, you know, the outside college football national group will be saying, hey, they lost a ton, uh, which, which they will. Sure. But there's a lot of talent that was on that bench a- as well. And, um, you know, again, mo- most of those girls would have been starting for 95% of the other teams in the country. So uh, I think they will all, almost all take a big step forward knowing the opportunity ahead, the um, the pressure in a good way that yeah. they now have to perform, I think. I asked this question last hour. I asked you this from a fan's perspective, given that South Carolina lost to Iowa on Friday night, then Iowa turned around and lost to LSU on Sunday. Do you feel better about LSU winning the national championship given that Iowa is the team that beat South Carolina, or would you rather have seen Iowa gone on to win it all, given that they did beat South Carolina? I don't know, man. It, it was it was kind of interesting. I felt like, for the most part, going into that game, I think most of the Gamecock fans I know were pretty, were pretty comfortable saying, let's let LSU beat Iowa. Mm-hmm. However, I... The sentiment after that actually happened from a lot of fans I saw was, man, the team that won the title would lose to South Carolina. Right. Because we now we saw it in Columbia. We didn't see it on neutral site. But, sure. um, so your fan, that, that stings a little bit as a fan base knowing that you were right there. Right. And it's, it's not like another just undefeated, unbeatable you know, where you're saying, wow, it would have been 50-50. You're sitting there saying, South Carolina probably beats LSU. Right. So, I think it's a bitter, it's a bitter pill either way. I, I don't really think, I, I don't think any outcome. Yeah, I mean, losing, losing is losing. There's no, there's no silver lining to either one, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody was waking up on Monday 
excited about who the national champion was in, in women's basketball. Well, one thing I do know is that the uh, staley Mulkey rivalry is going to be going on for a very long time to come. And, uh, you know, we had the game here against them a few weeks ago. That trip to Baton Rouge, you want to talk about a hostile environment and a highly anticipated game, that's going to be a fun one next year. Oh, no doubt. And it's going to be one, I think, every year now. It's um, it's kind of interesting that all of a sudden just snap your fingers out of nowhere is sort of, I think, going to be the premier SEC game in this league. You have You have some other programs that obviously are going to be up there as well. I think Ole Miss is going to keep taking steps forward as a program. Tennessee obviously will always be good, but that's that's the premier um, premier game. And, you know, going there, it'll be fun. Oh, yeah. It'll be fun. No doubt about it. The baseball team was also in action over the weekend. They managed to pick up two out of the three against Mississippi State. <clears throat> Wasn't the easiest weekend, but they came out with the win. We'll talk about it next. On the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head, on your home of the Gamecock, 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game, we'll get to talking about baseball in just a moment, but Wes informed me as we were under that last commercial break, the men's basketball team has actually just added another member from the transfer portal, Stephen Clark, a graduate transfer from the Citadel, will now be joining South Carolina for next season. Yeah, and um, obviously we'll talk a little bit about uh, football recruiting today as well with South Carolina getting Blake Franks on Friday. We'll hit on that in a little bit. And uh, going to tell you about Meatball Monday from Firehouse Subs. But uh, as you said, back into the portal they go. That's the trend, obviously, I think for everybody now, Tyler. But certainly if you are trying to find a little bit more of a winning path and you're trying to rebuild a program, you got to go portal. And uh, they go to the Citadel again. Obviously, they got Hayden Brown last year as a transfer. Add Stephen, Stephen Clark this year. Um, he is a forward. He averaged 16.3 points on 49.2% shooting this past season. Um, you know, 6'8", big man. Pretty, I think, sneaky athletic. Some touch around the rim from what I've heard. And, um, you know, I think a solid guy you can anticipate will contribute to South Carolina this year. I don't know if he's necessarily the superstar that's going to come in and light it up. But right. I, I think has had a... Um, a good career to this point and you know we've talked about it you can go out and find good solid contributors uh from these quote smaller conferences and uh, it certainly seems like Stephen Clark is that I do wonder you know how much Hayden Brown and his experience and just seeing what he did you know in in one year maybe contributed to uh to Clark's thinking and much like Hayden he comes in with uh one year of eligibility left yeah, and, and he gives this quote to GamecockCentral.com and, um, you know, talks about similarly to with, similar to what happened with Hayden Brown, there was kind of a mutual respect between him and Coach Paris back to when Coach Paris was coaching at Chattanooga a couple of seasons ago and certainly somebody that, uh, you know, Coach has kept his eye on and now seeing the opportunity to add more pieces to this team, he uh, decided to bring him on. He's the second transfer to be added, uh, both within the last week with Talon Cooper coming in from uh, Minnesota. So, 
pieces are already in place as they start to build towards next season. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I think not done yet. I believe you look at this roster, frankly, you're going to have to add at just about every position, I think, and they have the numbers to do so. And, um, you know, I, I don't really have a feel, honestly, about who might be next or who to keep an eye on. But for what I had heard, this was sort of anticipated. South Carolina's felt good here for, for a while, I think. Um, I say a while, but, you know, the portal's been open for, I guess, a couple weeks. But sure. within the terms of transfer portal where everything just flies. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about what is normally years of recruiting in a normal recruiting process. Like when Chris and I talk about football, you're talking about guys that got offered a year ago, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Sure. With the transfer portal, you're talking about everything being condensed down into a week or two. Right. Sometimes down into three days. And in those cases, generally that means the guy knew where he was going before he even hit the portal. Sure. But, you know, I, I think it, it makes sense for South Carolina. It makes sense for Stephen Clark. And... um a guy that will have an opportunity to come right in and play and contribute, I think. And we'll continue to see how Paris builds on this team for next season. On the baseball front, the team was on the road in Starkville over the weekend, taking two out of three against Mississippi State. It can be argued they didn't play their best series over the weekend, but they still came away with the series overall victory. Is a little bit of concern as far as the starting pitching goes. Obviously, we know that Will Sanders didn't start on Thursday. He gave the uh, reins over there to... Um, uh, Eli Jones, Noah Hall with the rough outing on Friday night, citing some back issues there. Mahoney, pretty decent outing on Saturday, but you know you got to be on your P's and Q's this weekend for LSU and uh, certainly going to need everybody playing at their best. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, man, but every time you go on the road in the SEC, if you can win two out of three, then um, I think you got to be happy with that. I know what Mississippi State's record was, but you know I thought they were game. I thought, to an extent, they were up to the challenge for South Carolina. Um, really the two wins were were pretty tight, even if you don't, you know, if you look at the scores. Sure. Obviously, you look at the Saturday game, game three in this case, it looks like Carolina blew them out, but that was not the case. They pulled away late. Mm-hmm. And for, for most of that game, it was in the balance. Um, you know, Carolina had to come from behind and put themselves in a position to win and then pull away. But I, I think you look at the fact, all right, your, your ace was Will Sanders coming into the year. Yeah. You go on the road. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so you're already a little bit skewed as far as your 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 sort of plan and your routine and all those things. You're going all the way out to Mississippi. This is a South Carolina team that's not really played on the road on the road a ton yet, right? So you go out there, you start Eli Jones, who does not have that experience yet himself, and you take two out of three and you flush what was just probably the worst performance of the year or second worst performance of the year, maybe compared to Charlotte and turn around and win game three. I think there's a lot to like about what happened this weekend. Now they're going to have to play better, obviously against LSU, but you know, I think we all know at this point that's baseball. You're going to have your ups and downs and to not really have everything go your way and still take two out of three. um, Very impressive. I will be, incredibly interested to see how they manage the staff going into this coming weekend. How does Will Sanders get inserted back into it? And I I actually thought, I I think Mahoney wore out a little bit, even though his pitch count was not high and they Mm -hmm. were getting the third time through the lineup. But I thought Mahoney was fantastic 
for about four innings on Saturday. I thought that was a great sign. He uh, The movement on his pitches, he has a lot of that, what you call like arm side movement, where a righty, it goes left to right. And I, I thought the movement on his pitches was just incredible. And you really, you can't see that when you're watching a game in person. You really get to see it when you're watching on TV because uh, the angles. And I think that's a great sign. But to your point, you got to make sure Noah Hall is healthy. Anytime somebody says back issue, I get a little, you sure. know, a little concern sure. there. And then we'll see what happens with Will Sanders. I uh, got a test before you take on LSU coming up tomorrow night as you take on a highly ranked North Carolina team. That game going to be played up at Truist Field in Charlotte, just like the game against Charlotte uh, was last week. Um, but this is a, another team that's not going to be easy to beat. It is a midweek non-conference matchup, but uh, certainly can be a good table setter for the game against or games against LSU this weekend. Yeah, and you have to sort of manage your your pitching staff very sharply, I, I think, too, because you you don't have. I know it's one day difference, but you don't have that one extra day of rest, too. So uh, I'll be curious. Do you do you pitch Will Sanders tomorrow and ease him back in, or you know, are you trying to have a fresh Will Sanders against LSU? Right. And so it doesn't get any easier pass this weekend. LSU, Vanderbilt, Florida coming up in a couple weeks. So going to learn a lot about this South Carolina baseball team over these next couple of weeks. On the football front, South Carolina added a new piece with a commitment on Friday. We'll talk about that on some spring practice. Coming up next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler and Wes along with you. Before we talk a little bit of football Got to tell them about the sub of the day at Firehouse Subs, which I went to Firehouse on Saturday before all the basketball games kicked off. Got a large sub. It was a delicious way to enjoy some basketball on Saturday What'd night. What'd you get? Which I sub? Got, I got turkey bacon ranch. Okay, of That's course. That's my go-to. You're hooked now. Yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about the meatball that you can get on Meatball Monday. Seven ninety nine for a medium. Hit the app. That is the easiest way to order, or you just go to firehousesubs.com. As always, every single day of the week, Firehouse Subs has a sub of the day. Again, today is the Meatball Monday. If you really want to spruce it up a little bit, add some pepperoni. It sort of puts it over the top, in my opinion. But you can't go wrong whether you get the turkey bacon ranch that Tyler likes. Um, I like this new triple stack as well. It's brand new on the menu. I don't know if you can order it in stores yet. I know you can definitely order it on the app and on the website. Again, firehousesubs.com. No matter where you are in Columbia, there's a Firehouse Subs near you. And on Friday, South Carolina got a big commitment from Blake Franks, the 6'5", 310 offensive tackle prospect from up in Greenville. And this is a big win for South Carolina, not only adding another piece to the class, but taking somebody right out of Clemson's backyard, somebody that it came down to the two in-state schools and South Carolina came out on top. Yeah, they did, man. And I, I think this is a a true recruiting victory for South Carolina in you know, an area that they haven't always been able to have success. And so they go into Greenville, they get Mazio Bennett earlier in the class. Now they go up there and get his teammate. And 
this was frankly, you know, Chris and I have talked about it before. This was a recruitment where there was a time a few months ago, you know, we were still tracking Blake, but we had sort of just told people, hey, it's it's going to be Clemson. He took a visit to Carolina shortly around that time. I My timeline's a little fuzzy on that. I think this was back around maybe November, December of last year. And it was kind of like one of those things where a guy's going to visit just to be sure, like just to make sure he's making the right decision. And so he visits South Carolina. We heard at the time, hey, this may not be over yet, but you're still a little bit sort of like, all right, he's probably going to end up at Clemson. Carolina kept pushing. I think ultimately comfort level, you know, I talked to Blake after comfort level, the just the relationships he has with the coaching staff at South Carolina going beyond just one guy. But you look at Lonnie Teasley, the fact that it's sort of a group effort at South Carolina. Greg Atkins is still involved. Sam Survey, Sam Survey, excuse me, Taylor Edwards, Shane Beamer. Full crew is involved with his recruitment. And, you know, he just felt more comfortable at South Carolina. And I, I think Lonnie Teasley has done a fantastic job building relationships with kids, making them feel comfortable. And, you know, this so sometimes you get a recruiting win where maybe the offer list is such, but those schools weren't really recruiting someone. Right. This is a case where, you know, Clemson was recruiting him. Clemson was the favorite. They wanted him. And now South Carolina sort of comes from behind, wins it. He said on January 21st when he took his junior day visit to South Carolina, that was when he really was looking around saying, like, uh, I think this is the place for me. So this this was a couple of months in the making. He said he kind of knew where he wanted to be, but he kept putting it off. I think he was a little bit just hesitant being probably around a lot of Clemson Tiger flags up there. Yeah. And so kept putting it off, but made the decision on Friday and just seemed to me looking at him to just have kind of the weight off of his shoulders after he did so. What was your confidence level going into this about his uh, likelihood to pick South Carolina? Oh, like 9.9 out of 10. Okay. I never, ever say never in recruiting, but at that point, there was... um, there was no there was no surprise at all that that it was South Carolina at this point. I mean we we had been given all indications it would be, and this was not like Nick Harbor where I was sitting there wondering did I did I make this trip all for nothing? Sure. Um, even though I was spending my my Friday night in Greenville to uh, cover the recruitment, there could be worse places. I, well, and I, I tell you what, I, I really like downtown Greenville. It's super nice compared to what it used to be like but i digress the um i knew the trip was going to be fruitful as far as getting content for our gamecock central fans that i've actually got more on that that's going to go up today but you know good player i think he could be a guard or tackle at the next level i tend to think when you look at it from the context of who south carolina has in their class and should get in their class that he'll probably be a guard but this is a kid i think has tremendous upside he even talked about it it, it was kind of there's a lot of self-awareness with Blake Franks. He's like, man, I was just basically, again, his words. He's like, I was just like a chubby kid playing video games. Mm-hmm. Um, he said one day it kind of hit him. He's like, man, if my brother can do this, I can do this too. And I think the sort of inclination there was that my brother is like smaller than me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, 
if he can have success playing football, why am I not having success? Sure. And um, it just, I mean, very motivated kid. Like it just flipped for him. And um, But I think because of that, he is not a finished product by any means. I think he can keep getting better. Very driven kid, academic-oriented as well. And um, another nice gift for Carolina, they are now three for three on in-state guys with two offers left, the other two being Josiah Thompson, who's going to commit on April 14th, and then uh, Kelvin Hunter, who is from West Florence and does not have a date yet. So Franks is the sixth commitment for this upcoming class, uh, joining Cam Pringle, Michael Smith, Wendell Gregory, Mazio Bennett, and Dante Reno. Now that we've gotten a significant amount of people in this class so far, what about this class sticks out to you? What's kind of the character that's taking on? <laughs> um, I would just say all extremely talented players. I mean, this is the best start they've ever been on, I think, on paper. I think that's pretty well documented at this point. You know, it's easy to look at the 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 O-line recruiting and sort of kind of let that be the focus because I think they'll get Josiah Thompson as well. So that's worth pointing out. But I just think if they can finish this thing off, again, right now they'll be three for three on in-state guys. Um, in less than two weeks, I think they'll be four for four. And then whenever Kelvin Hunter announces, I think they'll be five for five. So to just get <clears throat> potentially all five guys that you want in your state, I think they lead for Amari Adams, who is the early favorite to be the top guy for 2025. Um there's another kid, Marcus Downs, who uh, is from the Upstate as well, defensive lineman. They may offer. They would have a good shot with him. But I, I think to just sweep your targets in state would be phenomenal in that they're good players. But I think it would be phenomenal for South Carolina in terms of just the perception of what that means. And if you're Shane Beamer, we know he's dialed into perceptions and you know marketing his program and putting its best foot forward. You can go to your press conference and say. We landed every single Palmetto State player we wanted for this class. So if that happens, I mean, I think that's another thing that just makes people take notice. And, you know, Dow Loggins talked about it with Nicholas Harbor and how landing a five-star gets other top players interested. Well, I think being able to say you swept your in-state targets probably makes future in-state targets take notice as well. Speaking of Beamer and Loggins, you have another Spring practice tomorrow as spring practice winds down with the game coming up a week from Saturday, believe it or not. Uh, media is going to be out there again tomorrow morning. Uh, what, if anything, are you looking for uh, in the short time you'll get to observe? Yeah, you know, of course, we'll look at, see if there's hopefully a non-depth chart, depth chart drill, as we call it. Um, are there any changes? Is there any movement? You know, is a guy like the carry-on joiner maybe taking a step forward as far as maybe being first or second team running back um has there been any movement in the secondary are those guys back practicing they've had some guys banged up in the secondary so that's a couple of things we'll be paying attention to and we'll certainly talk about all that tomorrow on uh, the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs Chris is set to finally rejoin us after we're going to make Chris do the entire show he's got to make up for it because he's been out what he he wasn't here Thursday either Thursday Friday Monday guy he's just Taking the whole week off. I know. He's going to do the whole show tomorrow, and I'm going to just sit here. Yeah, well, we'll make him do that. 
Uh, come back on the other side, wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Here at 107.5 The Game, Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell. Along with you, a couple more minutes to go here. Wanted to get your thoughts on this. And I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter yet, but the... Braves announced a little over an hour ago that coming up in September, they're going to be retiring the number 25 wore by Andrew Jones for over a decade when he was with the Braves. And I talked about it in the last hour that, you know, for me, coming up as a kid, like Braves baseball was Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, you know, later on, Frank Cor McCann, those kind of guys. But Andrew Jones was such a vital part of my upbringing as a Braves fan. I know you're a little bit older than me, but you would have been, uh, I guess, around teenage years during that prime time when he was coming up as a Brave and having all of his success. My response is, it is about time. (laughs) That would be my response when he finally gets put in the Hall of Fame as well. (laughs) Um, The fact that the best center fielder of our generation or of his generation is not in the Hall of Fame is absolutely insane to me right so yeah about time he's an all-timer and i will steal this take from dave o'brien i mean if so a lot of people i think hold it against andrew jones as far as his hall of fame case because he fell off so quickly um you know and at a pretty young age but if he had come up at 24 years old Mm mm-hmm and then sort of fell off at like 34 or something, then I don't know if that would even be a part of the conversation, but he was up so early. And I would imagine there's so much wear on your legs covering all that ground in center field for so long. Sure. That, um, yeah, he fell off. But when he was at his best, he was easily the best center fielder in the game. So if you are the best in the game at any one thing, then to me, you're a Hall of Famer. And he did it over a bunch of years. And I don't see any way he's not a Hall of Famer, but I'm glad that the Braves are doing this. I think it's it's fitting. I think it's deserved. And um, I think it's about time. And that coming up uh, in September on Saturday, September 9th, They'll be taking on, I believe, the Padres that, uh, that night. Let me double-check on that. No, sorry, the Pirates. They'll be taking on the Pirates that night, and then they'll have the uh, retirement ceremony for his jersey uh, just before the game there. And obviously, you know, like I said, that was those. he was one of the key Braves for me coming up, and obviously Chipper's already had his number retired. Um, so very cool to see another one uh, go up in the ring of honor there. I don't think people realize, um, maybe some people do, maybe most people do, I don't know, but... The ability to track the ball the way that he could and get to balls that nobody else did and the number of hits he took away in his career is just insane. And that's a very underappreciated part of being an outfielder in Major League Baseball. Everybody really focuses on the offense and, okay, how are you hitting, home runs, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the the defense is almost kind of an afterthought sometimes. But like you said, he had a very uncanny ability as an outfielder to just kind of get to the ball and find where the ball was that most center fielders just don't have. Well, and I I think 
it would be much more appreciated and talked about in today's game because they have so many different analytics and so many different ways to track um, the percentage chances that an average fielder catches a particular ball, uh, the ability to track down balls, your reaction time, how far you went to go catch a ball. Um, all those things were more eye test, even you know when he was in the game. Now it's analytical. It can be uh, quantified. And, but even then, when they sort of retroactively apply a lot of analytics to his game, um, I mean, he's off the charts as far as his defensive abilities. So, right. Um, I've always been a little, like, just dumbfounded about the Hall of Fame conversation. To me, it shouldn't even be a conversation, right? With him, it, sh- it should be a lock. Yeah. Well, as we know, sometimes the locks in the Hall of Fame don't always get in. Still looking at Dale Murphy. Yeah, true. By the way, uh, Tyler, yep, put you on the spot. Um, but I know you're not going to be on the spot because I, I'm, I haven't even asked you, but I know okay. that you watched. Right. Um, I'm sure you watched WrestleMania this I, weekend. I did. Yes. Okay. Did um, did you happen to catch the match involving Trick Williams at Stand and Deliver? That's yeah. That's the NXT. Yes, event. I did not get to watch of all all of Stand and Deliver. I was actually going to watch that a little bit later today. I did know that he was involved though. Yes, and you do know that he's a local. Yes, right? we we talked about this uh, several weeks ago. I remember something about that. Yeah. So um, so that is sort of NXT's event at yeah, WrestleMania that, weekend, or yeah, how does that work? That's their huge event. It's it, they. It used to be called Takeover. It's now called Stand and Deliver. But yes, that's their like that's their big event um, of the entire year. So um, yeah, I guess we did talk about this a little bit. But uh, Trick Williams is former Gamecock um, Matrick Belton, who played his ball at Keenan High School here in the area. Played wide receiver as a walk on at South Carolina. Um, his I won't give away where she works, but his mom is actually still here in Columbia. Okay. Um, I met her. She's actually helping me with something, and I put two and two together. I met her a few months ago. Very nice lady, but um, Matrick slash Trick Williams, it appears, and and Tyler, you would know much more about this than I would, but it appears he has at least been a little bit on an upward trajectory to um, be a part of the WWE Universe, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And from what I and get, I didn't get to watch all of Stand and Deliver just yet, but I believe he is associated with Carmelo Hayes, who had mm-hmm. won the NXT Championship on um, Saturday, and I think he had he was. I think he interfered with the match. He had something to do with it. Again, I still have to go back and watch the whole thing, but he is involved with the main event scene, which is a very very good thing. Yeah, there's been talk he may, um, I guess, team up with this Carmelo Hayes. Uh, fellow and make a run at the tag team titles. I don't know. Right. I don't follow it like I did when I was a kid. But very cool. Absolutely. For Matrick. and um, he uh, he actually was on our podcast. Um, okay. It's probably been two years ago now when he was really like first getting into it. Uh-huh. Um, we got him to cut a promo right on <laughs> like off the top of his head. That's awesome. On the podcast. Um, very much is like good at going into the completely over the top. Yeah. wrestling persona right. but um is just a very cool down to earth guy um have out of the ring him, have to get him back on here sometime. yeah we we can make that happen i um when he debuted i shot him a text and i didn't know if he would text me back or not if i would hear from him he instantly got back to me and 
was like, um, you know, love to do any of y'all shows anytime I can. So Heck we yeah. can definitely have him in here, man. That'd be awesome. I'd certainly love that. But yeah, he's uh, involved with the main event scene and uh, NXT and uh, excited to see where he can go over these next couple of years. And for those who don't follow it, NXT is sort of like the kind of like the triple A. Yeah, it's like uh, the college football of yeah. of at least WWE wrestling because what they do and, and when we had um, um, Rachel Glenn in here for the Garnet Trust Hour a couple of uh, you know weeks ago you know she's got this NIL thing with WWE to where if she decides to pursue it when she's done with her college career um, she would go to the performance center they would basically teach her how to wrestle and all that kind of stuff and she would eventually go through NXT to learn the ropes basically and should they decide that she's good enough then she'd get called up to the main roster so yeah kind of a triple A college football type of type of deal but if you're main eventing if like if you're involved like oh, people yeah. people watch it the crazy thing is in the last I don't know five years maybe longer I don't know yeah the NXT shows are like pretty popular it's, I feel like. it's, it's a really big deal it kind of has its own niche fan base and who Carmelo Hayes defeated on um, Saturday. Do you remember the Steiner brothers back in the day, Rick and uh, Scott Steiner? I do. So Braun Breaker is uh, Rick Steiner's son and Scott Steiner's nephew. That's who Carmelo Hayes beat on Saturday at Stand and Deliver. Family ties. Family ties. And he sounds just like his uncle, which is really, really funny. I never thought the Steiners were that good of wrestlers, but they certainly... Their characters were good. They had a pretty good... Had a pretty good run back in the day. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler and Wes along with you. Chris will be back tomorrow. Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next on 107.5 The Game.